0: Hello everyone and welcome back to The Stories That Brought You Here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I will be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations with current Pender Island residents, discussing the stories that brought them to this wacky little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I will be speaking with Josephine Spaxman. Now, if you know Josephine like I know Josephine, then you won't know her as Josephine at all. You'll know her as Jojo, the wonderfully unique woman who you'll run into from time to time in various locations on this island and have abstract, humorous conversations with. Well, today is no different, and in today's episode, we're going to be getting to learn more about JoJo's past and about her current state of affairs on Pender Island. We're going to get to hear about Josephine's time growing up in Vancouver, some travel that she did in her past that also included going to Estonia. We're going to get to hear JoJo talk about her current job as being a medical transcriptionist. And as well, we're going to get to hear Jojo speak of a different kind of help that can be given to people in our lives or be given to us that might not seem like help at first, but actually is. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes, this one might sound a little bit different because this interview plays out more like a typical conversation I'd have with Jojo minus an equal amount of questions coming back my way from her. So this one has a lot of fun banter back and forth in it and a lot of joking and laughing, and I had a super good time doing it, and I hope that you have a great time listening to it and getting to learn more about one of your fellow islanders. So, without further ado, here is my interview with JoJo. Jojo, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great, actually. Like, uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. We've actually been talking for a while, but uh, here we are, finally, with the uh, the record button on. Right on, it's a hot one today, eh?
1: It is very hot today. Yeah, it is, but very- it's not down here. It's a very cool basement.
0: Yeah, I know the cool basement studios. Well, here we go. All right, well, we're going to lead into the traditional first question, which is, what brought you to Pender Island?
1: Well, what brought me to Pender Island was somewhere around the late 90s, I was living in Vancouver. I grew up there. I'd lived there for most of my life, although I took two years off and lived in Chilliwack in the Fraser Valley. And I had moved back to the city and was experiencing the city from someone who didn't really want to live there. So I wanted to get out of the city, and that was my plan, was to get out. My husband, Helgi, and I, at the time, we had uh, been working on about a five-year plan to get out of the city. And we're looking at different places to move to. Pender Island ended up being the one.
0: Okay. So what made you attracted to Pender Island? How did it first come onto your radar?
1: Helgi had some relatives who lived here already. There was his uncle Darwin and his brother Carl, his nephew Kyle. Other than that, we had no friends here, but I had a job offer here uh, from John, actually Art Fulaka, who ran the um, Shadowbrook Nursery at the time. And I met him through the garden center that I worked at. He would deliver ground cover plants to us. And he came every week and he was a charming, eccentric man. And I told him that I was thinking of moving to Pender Island and he offered me a job just like that. So I thought that gives us another reason to move to Pender. So that was great.
0: Wow. Okay, so you're working at a garden center in Vancouver.
1: Yes, that's right. I worked at garden centers for years.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about that. Where were you particularly working during that time when you met Art Falaka, you said? Art
1: Falaka. I was working at Garden Works in Burnaby on the Heat Highway. It's now a SkyTrain that goes right past that site. I worked there probably for about six years in various capacities, working in the perennial department, selling trees and shrubs, And I was their, uh, what you call a communication manager for a while, where I made all their signage. So it had to be horticulturally correct and spelt correctly and all of that. Sure. And it was a chain. It was a chain at that point. I don't know if they've grown or shrunk, but there were 10 stores around BC. So I was making signs and materials for all of those.
0: Okay. So a five-year plan you guys had to get out of the city. So the city just wasn't doing it for you. Uh, the
1: city w- was becoming at that point, it looked like there was probably not going to be the possibility of buying a house in the city, which is something that I really wanted to do because I wanted to have a permanent garden and I wanted to get back into having chickens again, which I had when I was in Chilliwack and Lake Eric, which was another small town I lived in. Yeah, that was, that was the main reason I wanted to leave. The reason Helgi wanted to leave is because I wanted to leave. He works far away. He could work. Uh, I mean, he could live anywhere. As long as it was accessible somehow to his other work, which was could be anywhere in BC or anywhere in the world, really.
0: Okay. And how many years ago was this, JoJo?
1: That was in, uh, we moved here in 1999. So That wow. was 18 years ago. Is that right? Am I doing the math right?
0: It's pretty close. It's 2018. So, Yeah. Yeah all right
1: you're about as good as math as i am
0: yeah i know i had to I had to like look up to find the answer if I the it was math on the is wrong just there.
1: delay this podcast being uh put out there for a year so the math is right okay
0: that is a very good suggestion i think definitely but uh but i already said it was 2018 it's 2019 oh, oh, oh okay okay just kidding i
1: think i've lived here 18 years it might be 19 and it, it actually is 19 isn't it yeah yes we moved here in may And it was lovely to arrive uh, in the house that we just bought. And I'm not going to tell you how much it cost because it would just be horrible for the people who are trying to buy a house here now. But uh, it was a very good deal. It was something that we could afford. Unlocked the door of the house with the key that we were given and promptly lost the key. I've never actually had a key for my house since then. I don't know what happened to the key.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And um, there were uh, salmon berries ripening. All around us, which was amazing to behold, to move into a place and have all this beautiful nature and dragonflies and a meadow and pretty much a, a big empty house.
0: Right on. So right off the bat, it was it was a good decision, you'd say. Mm hmm. OK, so 1999 Pender Island. I don't have any experience myself with that time frame. And for people who don't either, because I didn't come here till about the mid 2000s for the first time. But how do you think things have changed from that time till now?
1: Well, there's more people. There's definitely more people in the summertime. There's more shops. There's a lot more young people with families. How else has it changed? Um, I I don't really think it has changed that much. A lot of people say there's been sort of an attitudinal shift or something like that. I'm not really sensing it myself. I think when we moved here, there were something like 1,800 or 1,900 people here living full-time. And now what I've heard is that there's 25. If you look at 18 years of growth, that's not nearly as much growth as other communities have experienced. It's actually pretty slow.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point, actually. Well said when you put it that way. Definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. It's an know. extra
1: 600 people,
0: which is a lot of
1: people, actually. 600 people. <laughs> 600 people. That is a lot of
0: people. So, So in that time that you've lived here since 1999, how do you think that you've changed as a person, would you say, versus... And of course, you have a different time in your life and you have children as well too but do you think that the island has impacted you in any tangible way you would say
1: I really notice the change in myself only when I go back to the city I have become uh, not very good at driving in the city for starters not used to the hubbub and uh feeling pretty uh not very fashionable when I go to the city too and I don't know if I was really that style conscious when I live in the city but I think I put a little bit more effort into things Sure so nice <laughs> shoes matching socks, you know, that sort of thing. And I mean, this sounds pretty jokey, but I actually don't believe I've changed that much since I came to Pender Island. But that said, I've become a mother. I've worked a lot of different jobs. So I've changed, but from myself, I don't really know how. I still feel like the same person.
0: Okay, fair enough. So you were not a mother when you first came to the island, but you had children after moving here. How do you feel about raising your children on Pender Island?
1: It's wonderful. It's a really great place to have had kids. They are able to experience nature on a daily basis, on their own terms. You don't have to go somewhere to experience it. I think nature is really important for children. It's really important for people. I think that uh, I've got a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old. And I'm lucky that they're not dissatisfied with the scene here. Um The 16-year-old goes over to Salt Spring, so she experiences a wider group of people there. And she spends some time in the city with cousins and that, and she prefers it here. So that's good. I know a lot of 16-year-olds are dissatisfied here, uh, bored, but uh, that could be the same said for any 16-year-old anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, when you say she goes over to Salt Spring, for people who don't know, it's because the high school is on Salt Spring?
1: The high school is on Salt Spring, yes. There is a high school program starting up here, but I think the bulk of children will still end up going to Salt Spring. She gets on the bus at 7.15 in the morning and takes the water taxi from Port Wash over to Ganges, goes to school all day, and then does the same thing in reverse and gets home at about 5.45. So it's a really long day from 7.15 to 5.45 for a teenager. It's a lot of time. And um, then she studies because it's really hard to study, I think, on the water taxi, etc. That's on only four days a week because we have a four-day school week here, which is awesome. I don't know if she'd go five days a week if it was five days. It's a long day to go five days a week, but they used to. Really? For sure. It hasn't always been a four-day school week
0: here. Something I did not know. All right. Okay, so uh, as well, too, is that I know that uh, you're very into music as well, that people may or may not know you from the infamous band Cock on a Mountaintop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They
1: they most likely don't know me from that. (laughs) We haven't played any shows in a long time, although we still officially are a band. It's not like we've stopped being a band.
0: Okay, so, uh, and who did you play music with in that band? I
1: play music with Adrian Schomburger.
0: Okay, and still to this day? Yes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, music a little bit, because I think I've always associated you with music. I don't even know where that started, but it must have been, because one of the first few times I saw you was playing music, perhaps. But talking music, like, how big of an impact does music have on your life, and what are your influences?
1: Well, I listen to music a lot. So I would say that if you listen to music, it influences you. I don't have one or the other that's more influential because it can be influential on me as in I like it or I don't like it. I tend to not like music that I feel has been overproduced. I like raw sounding music. I also like experimental music. I like music that takes me by surprise. Like if I go to see a band, I love it. If I'm kind of blown away, like what the hell are they doing? I love that. And that makes more of the live music experience better for me because I find live music sometimes a little awkward, in a lot of ways. You're there in a room with people you don't know, and sometimes it can be social, socially kind of stilted. So I like music that's weird. I guess, yeah. When I first started playing with music with Adrian, we share a lot of the same musical instruments uh, influences. We both like The Residents. We both like The Knife. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, they're a Swedish band. Uh, they're great. And uh, yeah, are there any other influences that I can say I have? I know as a child, my parents listened to a wide range of music. And um, so there are a lot of albums that really bring me back to those days of uh, playing Lego to a certain song or doing an art piece or just working with my hands to music that was happening. So I think that if you were to look at that as a young child, uh, Pink Floyd influenced me, uh, Jean-Michel Jarret. Influenced me a lot. My dad was into that kind of thing. The Beatles. We had a lot of Beatles around. Now what I've said probably isn't that wide ranging, but I had older brothers and sisters as well. So, or brother and sister. My brother was really, he, he had the B-52s and ska and a lot of that kind of stuff. My sister, Angela, you know, she introduced me to Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention very early. So that kind of stuff has influenced me definitely. But I wouldn't say are these musical influences. I'd say no because we don't like when I play music I don't sound like them. No, no. I don't try to.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because we were talking earlier and, and I asked you about your siblings and you said you were the youngest and I'm the youngest as well too and that's so cool to have older siblings who introduce you to experimental different music that you're not really going to find on the radio dial but it that, I love that imagery of you talking about doing Lego to records playing in the background and having that memory maybe let's talk about that a little bit so what were you like as as a very young child maybe around the age of six seven eight around there what uh, what was jojo like then
1: what was i like then i don't know it's really hard to sometimes i look at pictures of myself and i don't even i can't imagine being that person in some ways i have little glimmers of of uh remembrance i suppose anecdotal times you know i'll remember um being at a dinner table and having this or that happen. But what was I like? I would say that I was really physical. I loved to ride my bike. I would sometimes right after dinner, for some reason, the full belly, get out on the back lawn and do handstands one after the other for maybe, I think probably about half an hour. Wow. Just do that while the the rest of the family was finishing up dinner. And they could watch me through the windows doing that. And I knew they were watching me, but I think I was trying to perfect something. I was trying to finally just be able to stand upright on my hands instead of just going up and down all the time. And I
0: did get better and better at it after a while. You'll
1: see kids doing that. You see them on the monkey bars when they first get there. They just can't
0: get off of them. They're just doing it all the time. They're practicing, practicing. Right. With a full belly. So your entertainment for the rest of your family still finishing? I guess, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Although I don't know if they would have the same remembrance of me doing it, because I think they were maybe just busy chatting too.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. It's like, there's Jojo again. <laughs> yeah. Trying to perfect standing on her hands. Mm-hmm.
1: They never called me Jojo. Okay. Whoa. What they, did they call you? They called me Joe. Wow. And and I actually have a little bit of a problem being called Joe by anybody, except for family members, just because I've known so many Joes in my life and I tried to change my name to josephine a couple of years ago and just try to get people to call me that so that they wouldn't call me joe because i think jojo which is what everybody knows me as is a bit of a um a babyish name it's something that you might have until you're you know 14 and then get away from
0: really yeah i think I- so
1: so a lot of the older ladies on the island they they, they call me joe and it kind of gets my hackles up a bit i gotta say because i don't like being called joe
0: wow okay yeah. well this is this is brand new information this for- is pertinent
1: information i've even had it on some of my social media.
0: Yeah. Don't call me Joe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a bumper sticker, perhaps. Yeah, might. Maybe that might do it. Yeah. <laughs> or a t-shirt. <laughs> we is could is all get a t-shirt. I, all... I
1: know this is gonna backfire because now everyone's gonna be calling me Joe.
0: No way. Well, I've only known you as Jojo. The the idea of actually calling you Josephine sounds so abstract to me. It's hilarious because you're you're so Jojo to me.
1: I could try something totally different too, and I've often thought that maybe I should just come up with a new name. Any ideas? Uh pff, no.
0: Sapphire. <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah, Alice. Do you know any Alice's? Are there any Alice's here?
0: There's got to be. There's got to be an Alice out there. But I. I think stick with JoJo. I think that's pretty cool. Okay. No Joe. No Joe. Okay. So, well, in terms of doing handstands as a younger child, maybe we'll just uh speed up to later on in your life there. Because when you were living in Vancouver as a as a teenager and young adult, did you go watch a lot of live music?
1: Uh, no, not really. Um, Not on purpose anyway. But, you know, I mean, in certain communities, life music just happens. And I think children in particular are sort of subject to that. There was always music around. I grew up in a Greek neighborhood. There were always people playing. It was Greek days where a lot of my friends would get up and show their prowess at their instruments. Also, um growing up in Kits, the folk music festival and just walking into a cafe, people are playing music. But no, I didn't go on purpose and see a band probably until i was a teenager and i think the first band i went to see was public image limited doa opened for them at the thunderbird stadium whoa and that would have been in 1984 i think yes
0: okay mm-hmm. doa doa yeah thunderbird stadium i went to go see a few shows there when i was early uh 20s it was a great place to watch music actually mm-hmm. fun outdoor music What, did you go to any uh, other venues when you were growing up in Vancouver? Actually, you know, it wasn't the Thunderbird
1: Stadium, it was the Thunderbird Arena, and that's indoors.
0: Okay. Yes. Sorry. I said stadium, didn't I? You did. Thunderbird
1: Arena is the indoor venue at at UBC. Anyway,
0: I don't don't have a story to tell about that. Ed, edit, edit, edit. But uh, so you didn't really go watch a lot of live music when you were younger? Not like really in your 20s? No. Okay.
1: Oh, yes. In my 20s. In definitely. your 20s? Yeah. Oh. I, I watched a lot of music when I was a teenager. Okay. I went to see a lot of punk bands. That was my thing.
0: Okay. Punk yeah.
1: bands. Saw some great punk bands. Let's hear it. Uh, would you want me to play a few bars? Or? No,
0: no. I mean, like, which which bands did you go see? Um, Where did you go watch well, music? Well,
1: when I was growing up in Vancouver, the, uh, the New York Theater was a big thing. So it was an all-ages venue. And there was bands that were playing there all the time. And I went to see Crucifix there, one of my favorite bands ever. They're amazing. Who else did I see there? Oh, tons, tons of people I went to see. Uh, also snuck into live venues that weren't all ages. And I saw Black Flag. You know, there was a lot of local music back then. So, I mean, I can say the names of bands and people might not know who they are, but they, uh, yeah, there are a lot of live bands playing okay. back then.
0: Yeah. So you grew up going to punk shows. Yes.
1: That's great. And they were so inexpensive and so easy to get to in the city. You know, it was really great. You could take the bus. Occasionally, there'd be a show out in the suburbs, like at, you know, some fellowship hall somewhere. And that would be a bit of a struggle to get to. But, of course, all the suburban punk rockers could go to those shows. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: when i was uh you know my early 20s i used to go to the starfish room richards on richards the commodore when it reopened and it was basically what i lived for during the week because uh it seemed like there was international bands i didn't really go see a lot of punk music myself but there were so many international bands coming through town for cheap right and uh, it just seemed like a plethora of live music but i don't necessarily even know if it's like that anymore but oh well that's i
1: i still go to see bands sometimes i went to see um Unknown Mortal Orchestra in May, I think it was. Which is not that recent, but for me it is. It was not a bad price. It was at the Commodore and it was 25 bucks, I believe. That's pretty good. Or at least that's how much I paid my friend for the ticket. And uh, so that was great. I think there's still a lot of live music happening, but not all ages. Mm. They're not in all ages venues. And that's a big problem with the music scene in Vancouver right now, I think.
0: What did that mean to you to get to go see that music and have something to do with your peer group when you're at that age, what was the impact on you? Did that, did that have a lot of significance to you to be able to do that?
1: I'm going to say that I kind of took it for granted because I didn't really know any other way. I think I'm pretty lucky in a lot of ways that my mom let me do that at 14. I had a lot of independence as a young person. I don't know if people would let their 14 year old take the bus across town to a punk rock venue now to watch music. Maybe they would, depends on the child. Maybe. That's another thing about being the youngest is that you're, you have experienced parents. Your teenage uh, siblings and older have already done a lot of the things that you're wanting to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess the parents have gotten over that hurdle of, uh, you know, being overprotective and being like, ah, this one, the other two made it.
1: Maybe. I. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that works.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of your siblings, let's talk about your brother and sister. Okay, brother and two sisters. Pardon me. Let's talk about your brother and two sisters. Okay. Tell us about your brother and two sisters. What are their names?
1: Okay, my brother Nigel is nine years older than me. So he is uh, 58. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. He's some kind of a genius. He's um, a mechanical engineer. He also makes and flies kites for fun. And he's a British motorcycle fanatic. And a lot of people in Vancouver know him through those two things. Oh, you're Nigel's sister. I know him because he's into kites or oh, you're Nigel's sister. I know him because he's like got all these amazing motorcycles and builds motorcycles out of, you know, people will buy a, an old beautiful motorcycle and it'll be either not working or already taken apart in boxes and it goes from person to person. I got an Indian, but it's all in boxes or whatever, right? And so he'll actually assemble them. And because he's a machinist and a mechanical engineer, he makes new parts for them. He, he makes them work.
0: Yeah. That's wild. Right on. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. a great snapshot of Nigel. Excellent. Nigel, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your two sisters.
1: Okay. Angela is, um, I'm going to come ra- right out and say it. She's some <laughs> kind of a genius.
0: <laughs> two for two so far. Yeah.
1: And um, she lives in Hong Kong and she's a career life coach, career coach. Uh, and she's lived in Asia for a long time. She lived in Bangkok for five or seven years or so. And then she and her partner moved to Hong Kong. And before she moved to Asia to be with her partner who works in Asia doing a uh, quality control type work and other stuff, I can't actually put my finger exactly up on what, what he does. He did work for years for the Mountain Equipment Co-op. So obviously they have things made in, in Asia. So they need someone over there overseeing that. That's the kind of work he does. He's also designed shoes and has a lot to do with... He worked for Burton Snowboards. There were a couple of other companies that he worked for too out there. And I believe he's retired now. But before she moved to China and Thailand, she worked in forestry engineering. And that's not something that she could do when she moved there. So she basically retired from that and was very interested in careers and how people move through their lives and are happy or not happy. So she's helping people with that process. Wow. And uh, she's uh, very good at pulling out, um, you know, the real crux of what people are happy or not happy about in their work.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that would be kind of a unique job to have, obviously, right? And then just really sort of getting down to the root of what uh, somebody's desires or passions really are, and then trying to try to figure out a way to make that happen, I guess.
1: Yeah. And she's been at it for a long time, too. So when... Uh, when I first heard or she told me that she was a coach, I had no idea what that was. But now people being coaches is a normal thing. You hear about people being life coaches or whatever all over the place. It's a big thing now. She's also part of the coach community. There's a coach community. There's definitely a coach community. Okay. They have associations and they get together and they help each other develop their career paths
0: i wonder if when a bunch of coaches get in a room together if people try to outcoach each other maybe i'm sure it would happen it might be weird right if it's like a standoff between two coaches it's like
1: i'm sure there's a lot of eye contact
0: I, th- I think there would have to be maybe like overly intense eye contact where it's like... Well, a- that's
1: one thing about my sister. She's really into eye contact. So, if you're talking to her, it she'll burn through you with her eyes.
0: Okay. And yeah. like, right now, we have intense eye contact <laughs> yeah, and I we're know, talking gonna, about it. Weird. I know. I'm trying not to like look at the corner. Don't look away. <laughs> oh, just it just did. Okay. Anyway, so uh, let's see if we can go three for three in the genius department. Yes. So
1: my uh, second sister, Helen, is also some kind of a genius. <sighs> They're all some kind of geniuses. Okay. Well, mm-hmm.
0: what, uh, what's her story?
1: Well, Helen is an artist and she makes pottery. She makes amazing pottery and she also teaches pottery to people at um, Britannia Community Center. And I think she might teach some other ones too. And something that she's well known for is her teapot course. So she can teach people in six or seven sessions, I believe to make a teapot. And you leave there with a teapot that not only looks great and is of you, it's your creation, but it also pours well, which is a big deal, especially for a handmade teapot. Yeah. And she's also a member of a group called the Carnival Band. Don't know if you've heard about them.
0: No, I have not.
1: Carnival Band is a street activism band in Vancouver. And uh, her and her daughter both play instruments in it, actually. They... um You know, I think that if you're... I I can't describe the music, and it seems to be different every time I hear it, but it's a big brass band with drums and sometimes singing and dancers, too.
0: So, street activism.
1: Yes. So, they'll go to protests and help with the protest by having a musical score to walk to. and Yeah.
0: Okay. So, they just try to give a little bit of a uh, foundation of musical involvement for basically like supporting the uh, protests?
1: I think so, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Show up and be loud. I mean, that's something that is necessary in a a protest. You don't show up and be quiet.
0: No. Yeah. No, that's a bad protest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You did not read the protest manual very closely if you show up and you be quiet, right? Unless it's a sit-in. Right.
1: There's different kinds of protests, I suppose, but these are loud ones. I guess. And it's not always protest either. A lot of times it's a street festival and they'll play in the park just to entertain.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay so you got two siblings in Vancouver, one in Hong Kong. Have you been to Hong Kong yet? No. Okay. Any plans to go?
1: Uh I don't I I'm the the notion of it makes me in some ways nervous. Do tell. Opposite of what I like in terms of just how quiet and how much space we have here. I like that. I I feel like I need to go and visit Hong Kong before my sister leaves Hong Kong. I don't know if I want to bring my kids there. I think it would be maybe stressful. So I also feel like it's something that if you're all the way there, you want to go somewhere else too. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people stop in Hong Kong to go to where, where would they go? Vietnam, Bali, you know, somewhere like that, maybe even Australia. So.
0: Okay. Did you travel much uh, when you were younger or?
1: Yeah. um, My parents are both from England and all of our relatives were there. So about every three years we'd go back to England. First time I remember going, I think I was seven years old, but I had been once before. I just don't remember it because I was too young. Uh, Lovely times with cousins and seeing castles and that sort of thing. I don't think I traveled to anywhere else until we went back one year when I was 12, I believe. And we went to, oh no, I would have been more like nine. We went to the Netherlands for a couple of days. And and I when I was in my 20s I went to Finland and then had a week-long excursion into Russia and I went to Estonia as well.
0: Wow, those sound like some really unique places. What uh, what was your last impression of uh let's say Estonia? I don't really know anything about Estonia. What was your last impression of Estonia?
1: Beautiful, crumbling architecture, just uh, you know, I mean it was clear at that point too. I guess it was 97 when I was there. So uh, it had been an amazing artistic and cultural place, but had lived under Soviet regime for so long, that when it finally came out of that, there was uh, a lot of repair to be done. But beautiful place, beautiful people, amazing art. I would have liked to have spent longer there. I'd like to go
0: there again. What sort of art did, uh, did they have that you remember?
1: I just remember going through a couple of privately run galleries and there were a lot of local art there. And just the the scope of what was on display in the place really impressed me. I mean, art always does. I'm, I'm amazed by people who can spend hours and hours and hours perfecting their craft and just get so good at it, at what they do, whether it's this particular type of brushstroke or color or whatever. It fascinates me. And there was just obviously a lot of time put into these pieces of art. And they were also unique and I think really expressive of the landscape and of the life there.
0: Neat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you feel like the reflection of what you saw with the paintings reflected the reality that you were sort of observing in your short time there? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. The colors on the street, the old architecture, the plants. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, speaking of art and uh, such, what sort of passions do you have in your life right now? What are you really passionate about? And uh, what's uh, what's got JoJo stoked?
1: Oh, boy. You know, it's funny. I think that a, a lot of people might think that I do a lot of different things. I'm a busy person in that. But whenever people ask me that question, or a question like that, I am at a bit of a loss of what to say. And I don't know if it's the state of my brain or my age. I'm not really sure what I do right now a lot is I'm a medical transcriptionist. So I sit at my desk and I listen to doctors and I type out what they say. And in doing so, there's not really a lot of room for my own thought to take place. I'm used to in the past, uh, I've worked at the ferry terminal and in that job, there was a lot of room for thinking my own thoughts. And doing my own things and also having conversations with people there. And I think I used my brain more in a way. Even though this job that I have now engages my brain, it takes the whole thing. And I can't just space out and think about something else while he's telling me about someone's medical issues I have to type out. So I think that has in some ways led to a little bit of a creative deficit on my part. And I'd like to do more that's creative But, you know, for years I've done knitting, and that's a big creative thing for me. I like to garden, and I like to paint. I like to paint on fabric. But there's not one sort of overriding passion right now, and I think I kind of need to – I'd like to work on that. I need something to kind of take over. For a while, there was songwriting. I was writing so many songs all the time. I haven't done that in
0: months. Man. well the time's coming to go for these things right mm-hmm. I-
1: it could also be, be because i'm in a relationship which is fairly new and that takes up a lot of space too
0: whoa let's talk about that you're in a new relationship well it's
1: i shouldn't call it new because it's over a year but yeah it, it takes up a lot of my uh mind space you know i'd stop working and then i might think about steven a little bit so there's less room for you know doing other things with my brain
0: Okay, well, I've had the pleasure of meeting this lovely gentleman named Stephen, but uh, what you, can you tell the listeners listening about your new guy, Stephen?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you'd almost just have to meet him because how, how do you describe a person? What do you want? Uh, what he does?
0: Well, not necessarily what he does. Actually, I think the second time I met him, he was coming back from either it was Germany or, or France, a, a theremin workshop he was taking? Yes, mm-hmm. he was in the
1: theremin workshop. That's right. He's how- a thereminist. He's a musician. But he plays in bands too. He's in the band Slow, which is, I guess, in the process of, um, well, they've been playing again for about a year after not playing together since about
0: 1987. Slow. Slow. Okay. What sort of genre are they?
1: I would say that they are rock. They came out of, you know, uh, the punk scene. A lot of people that were playing music at that time and who they were associated with be punk, but I wouldn't say that their music is punk. Maybe their appearance might be punk. Some people say that they are grunge rock, but that's the pre-grunge 1987.
0: All right. So you have a, a new partner in your life that's taken up a lot of mental space. But, it, you know, just to get back to what you were saying about the job that you have right now and about how you have to be so focused all the time. And you don't have time for your own thoughts. That is exhausting.
1: That is really exhausting. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So when I get asked the question, what have you been up to lately? It's like, ah, oh, jeez, what have I been up to lately? <laughs> <laughs> Lots, but at the same time, nothing at all, in a way. But I I do find the work very entertaining. I am a little voyeuristic. I like to hear about what's going on in people's lives. I work for some psychiatrists, and the stories that they tell me over my earphones are very fascinating. There's a lot of empathy there, too, for the people who are going through those things without actually being in the hospital with them and seeing them or meeting them. I do have to put a lot of care and attention to making sure their medical record is accurate.
0: You know, you know. I didn't even know that you did this. How did you get into this career?
1: I feel like it's something that I read on a matchbook cover, you know, like, <laughs> do you want to be an amazing illustrator?
0: Yes, I do. It,
1: it, that's what it really felt like when I first started getting into it. Although I did hear about it from a person here on Pender. I have a friend who I was delivering some broccoli starts to. She wanted to grow purple broccoli. So I brought it to her and I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm a medical transcriptionist. And I saw what she did and it looked really neat. She works from home, and she had actually just graduated from the program that she trained for in a year to get this job. So she took this online course, and she was just starting up, and it was cool. So I thought, I'm going to look into that. I looked into it a little bit more and a little bit more, and then I I signed up for the course. I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this, because I need to get out of... At that point, I was gardening. I was landscaping. I was pruning people's trees. It was hard on my body. And being a self-employed gardener around here, too, is sometimes it it's difficult to make money because not only do you have to get to the job and do it then you have to go home and you have to bill the person and i just found the whole process a little bit a little bit too much for me i could i thought i can be working 8 hours a day but i'm not because there's all this prep and all this frankly procrastination that goes into my life so i should probably find something else to do also that's not so hard on my body i was getting difficulties with my shoulders Spending, you know, all day on a ladder pruning is really hard on your body, actually. You got to cross train for hours after that
0: just so that you can go to sleep at night. Whoa, well, you had to cross train for hours afterwards? Well, yeah,
1: for sure. Not hours, but you know, uh, half an hour, I would say I'd have a good session after work, uh, working opposing muscles and stretching out the ones that I'd worked. Yeah. So anyway, I did the year long course and that was a really difficult year because suddenly I got out of the trees and out of the gardens and was sitting at a desk. And when you go from very, manual work, very physical work to sitting at a desk. You couldn't really hurt yourself. I hurt myself quite badly, actually. But I enjoyed the studying. I thought this is the right move for me because I'm enjoying this this work that I'm doing. And now I've been doing it, I guess I'm in my third year doing it.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you see yourself doing this for a while longer?
1: Yeah. Although I'm trying to specialize. I would like to get into perhaps medical specialty and try and make more money that way. Also, I do other forms of transcription too. I've transcribed writing for local authors and I've transcribed interviews uh from someone who's uh who was doing some work with different people on the island. I'm working for a website a little bit to typing and that's me- this is a medical website so I'm typing out interviews that they've had with doctors.
0: Okay. You know what you said about having empathy while listening to sorry, a psychiatric interview mm-hmm. and then having empathy for what you're hearing not to delve into that too much, obviously, because it's confidentiality, I'm sure, but that's actually, uh, sounds really cool, you know, to hear you say that through your job and just listening to other people, I guess, be pretty open, I'm sure, and just have empathy towards that. That's pretty neat. I don't even know if this is going to make the podcast or whatever, right. but I, Because we probably shouldn't talk about that too much. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Oh, it's all
1: right. Well, we're not going to say people's names or anything, or even names of doctors. Sure. But the kinds of things that they talk to or about are sometimes things that I can relate to in my own life, or the people around me, and give me a little bit of a better understanding on different forms of mental illness and what people go through in the process of trying to get better. Hmm. And that's 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 a huge field, you know, which is not very well understood. And I don't like a lot of the medicine that goes on that I hear. I think, oh God, a person's on a ton of pills. And you can see that half of the pills that they're on are actually just trying to counteract the side effects of the other pills they're on. So you watch these medical stories develop and you just, just kind of get a little bit disheartened about it. There was one woman who was in the psychiatric, has been in a psychiatric ward for the last three months that I've been working for this one. And I'm just, I can see that she's trying to get out, but it doesn't look like she's getting any closer. And it's, that's sad to see.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting that you get to sort of have a little bit of a window into strangers lives. And I guess, make some intuitive decisions in your own life, let's say through what you're what you're experiencing through that, I guess that is would probably help you within your own life with decisions that are becoming or coming down the road or decisions you have to make in the present. Would you say that that's accurate?
1: Uh, yeah for sure and on the top of that list would be avoiding going to the hospital in the first place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no
1: especially the psychiatric
0: ward okay do not wind up <laughs> in the psychiatric yeah ward. that
1: would be that would be job number one okay i sure. know
0: i know it's like girl interrupted she didn't want to wind up in the psychiatric <laughs> no. ward yeah and There's, bad things happened yeah mm-hmm. uh okay well you mentioned earlier as well about bringing over some broccoli starts to the woman who helped you get started in this new career and that leads us into the second traditional question on this program which is who has helped you along the way on Pender Island, Jojo?
1: Who has helped me on Pander Island? Well, I suppose that lady did in uh, being open and turning me on to that particular drop.
0: Okay. Can we name her name?
1: Sure. Um, Her name is Kathy McKean. She's Sean Tam's mum. Okay. And yeah. She's a lovely person. Very nice. And someone who I can say, she seems very happy in the way she lives. And that's something that I would like for myself. You know, I think she's a bit of an inspiration that way for me. Anyway, she's, she does a lot of little different things that make her make her happy and that she contributes to the world around her that I think are cool. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think she lives a life of grace, actually, which, you know, is inspiring. But as far as like other people who've helped me on Pandora Island, I suppose that Art Falaka helped me right off the bat by hiring me and anyone who's hired me in any jobs here. Got to thank them. That was nice of them. But really, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately about how people help you. And a lot of the time, the people that help you are the people who uh, you wouldn't necessarily think are helping you. Sometimes they're helping you by putting up a boundary or or not talking to you anymore or things like that. They're helping you develop as a person. And I would put just as much value on those kinds of relationships as with a
0: close friend. Wow. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because that actually sounds really intriguing. Tell me more.
1: Well, um, now this is not something that happened to myself, but recently I learned of a friend who's not talking to another friend anymore. And I thought, that's too bad. But I thought, you know what? That's good because they're both developing. I mean, and they're going to remember that for a long time that they had a disagreement and I think they'll both get really important lessons out of it. And that they helped each other in a way okay. by not hanging out anymore
0: yeah yeah okay so by setting boundaries do you feel that that's being helpful to somebody
1: oh absolutely yes
0: yeah, yeah. i agree with you but yeah. i'm I'm kind of amazed to hear that response actually because it's so not typical right but I, I think what you're saying is totally accurate and uh i just kind of want to stick with that a little bit because it's kind of fascinating to me but you know people who set boundaries for others or people setting boundaries for yourself yeah they can be super helpful but the point is, like, there's there's different ways to be of service and helpful in people's yeah, lives. and
1: sometimes that way is saying no and saying, I had enough of you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I can really extrapolate on that any anymore, but I think that we all help each other on a regular basis around here um, by being nice to each other, By but also by going, yeah, screw you, man. I think honesty is important.
0: Nice. That's really nice. Seriously, Jojo. And it's... It's a little refreshing to hear that, I think, because I think it's so much of the communication we have is uh, just sort of like teetering on the edge of honesty. And I know I struggle with it myself, you know, in times where I feel like I really need to say this, but then I worry about how... It's going to be perceived and then mm-hmm. don't, don't do it. I feel like it's a disservice to myself and to that person as well too. And I, I don't really walk away from that feeling that great about it. But when I do really own my feelings about things, boy, does it feel better? You know,
1: it feels better. And it also, you know, let's say you said the wrong thing, uh, you'll learn from that. Sure. Yeah. hmm <laughs> I think learning is something like it's one of the more important things that we can give to each other is sharing information. And learning from one another, so yeah. yeah,
0: what sort of things do you think that you've learnt in your time on Pender Island? because you said that you've spent a lot of time doing gardening and having different jobs along those lines, but what sort of maybe interpersonal skills or or through relationships or through work that you've done, experiences that you've learned through being on Pender, would you say hmm
1: i well, I know that when I first moved here, I had lived in a small town before. And had some small town type experiences where um felt a little bit talked about, especially when I was new there. Who's that? You know, it's natural. That's natural for someone in a small community to wonder who the new person is. And we will all talk about that new person. Hey, did you see who moved into so-and-so's house? And, and it's of interest. And for the new person coming, it can be very daunting. It can be very claustrophobic. And they're wondering why everyone is looking at them or or wanting to say hello or being, as we're known here, sometimes aggressively friendly. And it's a, a hard part of moving into a small community from a big one, is getting used to that. I know that my first year here, uh especially, well, my first couple of months, I moved here in May. So I was a summer person. And then when I stuck around past October, November, people realized, oh, this person lives here now. And that's when it came on. People were coming to my door and who are you? And I kind of had had the summer to get used to some of it, but it was um fairly daunting at first. And I st- went through a little while of feeling a little claustrophobic around here. And uh learning from that experience, I just now realize with more people moving here all the time that when people do first arrive, you want to know about them. And it's important to not be too pushy, I guess, or or too inquisitive or too nosy right off the bat. That was a learning thing. I learned that from, uh, you wouldn't know them. There was an old couple who used to live here called John and Jean Ulmer. Very sweet people. They uh, had been married for 50 years. I believe they were in their 80s when they finally moved away. And they were both very aggressively friendly with me and from, from different angles. I didn't actually know they were a couple. I just remember him and I remember her and it was like, oh my, like these, and there were a couple of other ones too. And, uh, I feel like I learned a lot about the process of maybe uh, like, I, I learned from them, not what to do. They're very sweet people, but that's something I definitely learned from them and I have noticed it in others too. You know, you do something a bit, uh, terrible or odd or in your face and you try not to emulate that.
0: Okay. I've never heard that term aggressively friendly, but it exists for sure.
1: I think that I actually first heard it uh, on a YouTube video about Pandora Island. What? Yes. It was, I don't know if I could find it now, but <laughs> I was looking up Pandora Island and I, there was someone who was, uh, it was a couple, they were in a car and they were just driving around the island, shooting the shit with, uh, the camera. And this is what we're doing now. And this is what we're doing there. And it didn't have a lot of views. It wasn't a viral video or anything. They described an experience they had just had. They parked at the beach and they had to get this off their chest. They had picked up a hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker was aggressively friendly with them. And they were noticing that the people of Pender Island were aggressively friendly. This hitchhiker had not only gone in the car and given them both hugs from over the car seats, but invited them to a potluck later. Wow. Yes. Okay. And through watching the video and understanding where they were and what they'd been through, I'm pretty sure it was Shandor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who
1: you should probably interview on this show if you could Shan- ever pin him down.
0: Oh yeah. No Shander is a, a must get
1: for yeah, sure. mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know how you're gonna get him to do this.
0: I'll figure out a way. Figure
1: out a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah. Another thing is on our ferry brochures, we used to have separate ferry brochures for every island. So you pick could pick one up for all of the Gulf Islands, actually. And it was a, a multicolored booklet. And it was brown, but on the inside, like the Pender Island page was blue, I believe. And anyway, so you could look at it, and there was a little intro that told you the ferry passenger about the island, paragraph long. And on the Pandora Island one, it said the friendly islands,
0: not the aggressively friendly, not the aggressively, but no, no, just, just the friendly, the friendly, f- the friendly islands.
1: islands. Yeah. And that I think really set the tone. Uh, we wouldn't have been this way had they not put it in the ferry brochure.
0: Okay, it's their right. fault. They conditioned us to be friendly through the ferry brochures. I think
1: a BC Ferries person came here, actually, and figured we were friendly. Or maybe they had nothing else to say about us. I'm not sure.
0: I wonder why. I wonder why we were established as the friendly islands and poor Galliano, Maine, Salt Spring. What what labels were they given?
1: I can't remember. I didn't read them. I wasn't going there.
0: Yeah. No, unimportant, because we're the friendly ones and uh, forget about those ones. But uh, I'm curious, Jojo, I'm curious about uh, the rest of your family lineage. We talked earlier when you came over and you mentioned that uh, both your parents are British. Uh, so mm-hmm. what are your parents' names?
1: My dad's name is Ray. Yep. And my mom's name is Wendy.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And I am actually really curious about uh, your, your grandparents, if you feel like, uh, speaking of that my right now. My grandparents? Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: you know, I, they were all over in England, so I only met them each a handful of times. Okay. Um, I would say that I probably knew my grandmother the best. That would be my mother's mother, and her name was winifred gamble
0: wait wait winifred gamble winifred gamble that is a super cool name
1: it is super cool isn't it yeah and her uh maiden name was Offley.
0: well that's even cooler winifred yeah. Offley.
1: o-f-f-l-e-y
0: sounds like she should be uh, in the awful trade no i was gonna say an author of some kind oh, an author yeah, yeah probably like penning 30 books and yeah you know, bestsellers crimes Crime drama? I was going to say romance. Oh, romance. That's what I was picturing. Yeah. Yeah. If my
1: grandmother wrote a book, I don't know what it would be about. Probably geese or something like that. She was uh, very into her geese, I would say. That's what I really remember her from. And she probably died when I was maybe eight. That's the last time I saw her would have been when I was seven. And um, she was in a wheelchair by the time I knew her. She had had a leg amputated. When I was a kid, my understanding was that she'd been in a horse accident, but I think that was a load of BS. I'm not sure. Uh, I've also heard that she had um, something called uh, uh, arteritis, which affects your circulation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not diabetes, which couldn't lead to amputation. It's a similar sort of blood condition where you're not getting correct flow. So it was an infection. In other words, she had an infection. Like maybe it was from the horse accident and then she lost her leg, but it's pretty late in life that she lost her legs. I don't know what she was doing up on a, on a horse, but but she was a lovely lady. And I remember her as being quite matronly. And she would sit and watch us cousins as we played dress up and had tea parties in the yard. So it was a very idyllic kind of situation. Okay, Yeah. Very, very sweet lady. And I don't know much about her, but my mother says that I'm very much like her mother in some ways that are unexplainable. Recently, I was at my mother's house. I said... I think I'll have sugar in my tea. She said, you don't usually take sugar in your tea, do you? I said, well, just in the morning and then at night as well. My first cup and my last cup is got sugar. in it." she said, oh, you know, that's just like what my mother used to do. But maybe that's a more common thing than we think of.
0: I don't know. Well, how many cups of tea do you have a day? Oh, gosh. Eight. Eight cups of tea. Oh, quite a few. Yeah. What's your tea of choice?
1: Um, Earl Grey.
0: Okay, of course mm-hmm. it is. British.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Some people don't like it. They say it tastes like flowers. Mm. I like it. I I don't like other types of flavored tea, like blackcurrant that much, though. Mm-hmm. I also really like... Oh, what's it called? I can't remember. It's one of the Celestial Seasonings. ones. I'd recognize the box if I saw it. Make one up oh bengal tiger that's what it's called oh mm-hmm. bengal spice. spice bengal spice it's a bit yeah it's spicy it's got a tiger on the cover i you, like that one
0: you gotta pull that bag out after the first minute or else it's just too intense i, I think, think so. that's
1: the point of it though it, it kind of clears your sinuses or something isn't it
0: yeah, yeah. it gives you a kick mm-hmm. for sure it's yeah, a good one um all right okay An eight cup a day tea drinker fantastic it's a lot of tea coffee at all not really, no. It okay. doesn't do me any favors. Without much tea, where's their time for coffee for <laughs> crying exactly. out loud? Definitely. I
1: like, sometimes I'll go out for coffee. I like iced coffee, but I don't generally make it at home.
0: Okay. there's a crystal ball in front of you, or if there was a crystal ball in front of you, uh, 10 years from now, do you see yourself still on Pender, JoJo? Like, what keeps you on Pender Island, and do you see yourself being here 10 years from now?
1: Well, uh, yeah. Do I see myself still being here in 10 years? Um, in 10 years, my children will be grown up. And, um, I wouldn't say they're tying here, me here because I like this place, but without them here, I might actually want to move away to be closer to them. If they move away, for example, somewhere exotic, I was hoping for maybe Helsinki or Talon or even just Ladysmith. That would be fine as well.
0: Okay. Helsinki or Ladysmith. One or the other. doesn't matter. (laughs) No no preference. Somewhere
1: more exotic than here.
0: Okay. Well, Helsinki (laughs) sounds pretty exotic, but you said you took a trip to Finland though, right? Yeah.
1: It's a lovely place. I would love to have like some kind of a working holiday there. Or something, uh, yeah. It's it's a really amazing place. Finns are odd people. I'm not so sure I could be one of them, but I like their country.
0: Mm. Saunas.
1: Saunas are beautiful. Um, Helgi's got relatives who are very traditional Finns, Finns who live up in the region of Savo, which is central Finland, and they have their what's called a Savo sauna, and it's very natural in, in its fullness. It would have wood smoke. It would be wood fired. It would be outside it would be made of natural materials. You would also jump in a lake afterwards. If you were really hardcore, you'd get the tar on your body Whoa. and then tar pitch and then scrape that off and maybe whip yourself with stuff. I didn't get I didn't go that far. That is hardcore but it's uh it that is an amazing piece of culture they have there and yeah, it's enjoyable. it's amazing, especially when you consider that some of the heavy drinking that goes on inside saunas. And, you know, for a lot of us, I don't drink much at all anymore. I get drunk too easily, frankly, but basically they will go into the sauna with their friends with their beer and their spirits and get hammered. But the amazing thing is in the morning, they're clean. They're clean and they've detoxed so much because they've been in the sauna and gone through all of that. So they don't have the same hungover feeling. i might have a headache, but they don't feel grotty.
0: Like wow. people generally do Sure. after a night on the town. I'm just kind of amazed that you're getting, people are getting wasted in the sauna. Well,
1: yeah. I'm I'm not going to paint every spin with the same brush, but I saw a lot of drunkenness while I was there. They like to drink and they don't, you know, they don't drink all the time, but they definitely have their times. Okay. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. Like sauna time.
1: Holiday time too. They're on holiday. It's the weekend. This is what we're going to do. Go time. And they like to greet the dawn too greet the dawn yeah for sure well i mean it's almost it's not land of the midnight sun up there but the the sun comes up early and it's a special thing if you've been up with your friends and family so long drinking that you get to greet the sun in the morning
0: (laughs) of course it is actually some weird memory i have is the finnish olympic hockey team winning gold and seeing the picture of them partying with the sun coming up and staying up all night and i was like wow those guys know how to party in finland they do them. Mm -hmm. all right um. Okay. Well, we're creeping up near the end of our time here. That was going by pretty fast. Eh? Really?
1: How many questions have we gotten through? Two.
0: I lost track of the questions. It's been pretty rapid fire so oh, far. Okay. Yeah. But uh, well, because like we got the two traditional ones down, but maybe another like twenty six. I think we're in there. Twenty
1: six so, questions.
0: I don't know how many. Oh, I, did
1: we answer questions without being asked?
0: No. I I, I asked a ton of questions. I think I'm I really remember. question
1: oriented right now, okay. and I kind of want to know what the questions are.
0: Okay. Well, I can ask a specific question. Right now, okay, yeah, okay, so we talked about your grandparents' travel, isn't that? Weird? I never talked
1: about my grandfather,
0: Sure, let's talk about you know,
1: okay, I'll just say a few things. Cyril Williams Baxman, okay, was a greengrocer who lived in Kingsland, Norfolk, and he had his own shop, and that's where my father and his two sisters were raised, and he I believe he started out as a milkman and he had horses, and he would deliver milk, and then he got into the fruit and vegetable business, which meant dealing with importers. And also selling at the Tuesday market. So my dad was raised in a setting of uh, being a merchant's son, which I think had a big impact on him. It's not a big town in England. It's a small town. It's just really fascinating to me. I, I didn't know him very well, but he was, I think, quite eccentric, quite an eccentric old guy. And he hated having his picture taken. Every single piece of clothing he wore was green. And his house was decorated in all different shades of green. And as a young kid coming from somewhere like Canada with all the modern conveniences, going there with the outside toilet and just all the weird stuffed mattresses and everything else was really amazing as a kid.
0: Stuffed mattresses? What were they stuffed with?
1: Well, in England, they have mattresses that are so piled on top of each other and weird and lumpy and squishy. Really? Yes. mm -hmm. It's probably different now. But when I was a kid, all of the mattresses were... It seemed like there were probably about five mattresses all stacked up. You kind of have to hop up onto the bed. Wow. Yeah. And very saggy in the middle. He was really into ghosts and telling ghost stories. And he was, uh, he told some really good stories about ghosts, aliens, Satan. And I do believe he believed those stories. And that's what made him an amazing storyteller is
0: because they weren't stories. They were real absolutely yes that's a key part to being a good storyteller <laughs> you have to commit to believing yeah, mm-hmm. what you're saying is true yes mm-hmm. but that's great so like a great positive lasting memory of uh of your grandfather mm-hmm.
1: yes Near i only end. really felt like i needed to do equal justice to both sides of my family because it wouldn't be right to only mention
0: winifred i appreciate Matt. that but the
1: uh, th- those are the only two grandparents i met
0: i didn't mean to uh gloss over the uh Mr. sides Eternal Staffson. side of yeah. uh, no, the all right. grandparent equation there. But, well, what happened the uh, first year after high school? What did you do your first year after high school?
1: I didn't graduate from
0: high school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what okay. did
1: I do the first year after high school? I tree planted.
0: Yep.
1: And uh, I went, well, there was one actually, there was one summer that I kind of treated as the year after high school, but I did go back to high school after that. And I went to Banff, or, I mean, sorry, Jasper and worked at the Jasper Park Lodge as a chambermaid. That was pretty pivotal, actually. And I find sometimes going somewhere where you know nobody is a uh, life-changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, it totally is, right? Because yeah. yeah. you're, you're out of your you're element. You're
1: relying on yourself. Yeah. and Completely. Yeah. So that is what happened that summer. And uh, yeah.
0: Where did you do tree planting?
1: I did it near Revelstoke.
0: Okay. How mm-hmm. long? Like a full summer?
1: No, no. Only about a month and a half. Okay. And uh, I got ripped off. What? Which is something that used to happen quite a bit with tree planting back then. What do you mean? Well, someone would get the contract to hire a bunch of tree planters, go up, set up camp, get them to work, go back to town, get the money, and they disappear.
0: No That used to happen quite a bit. Really? Yeah. That's so unfortunate. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I know. It is.
0: So, did you work for a whole month and a half and not get paid?
1: Well, the way they looked at it is that I paid my camp fees. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as far as I know, there was roughly um, two thirds of the crew that didn't get any money for what they did. And they, a lot of them were working a lot harder than I was. So
0: man, that's a tough experience to have as a young person, actually at any point in your life to not be paid for the work that you do, but especially as like one of your first jobs, I would imagine.
1: Oh no, I'd had a few jobs before that, but yeah, it was disheartening Yeah, and it becomes a trust issue. Yeah. A big trust issue. But I have to say the time that I spent up at that camp was nice. They did supply us with, as far as what I've heard about other um, tree planting camps, something that made this camp very special is that it was on a lake so we could bathe mm. and that's a that's a really big part of tree planting a lot of the time is not being able to bathe so mm. we had that and i thought that was pretty awesome and in a lot of ways i mean yeah we worked hard and i was supposed to come out of there with money but it didn't ruin my summer or my year or my life right yeah
0: who is your closest friend uh when you're working in jasper that summer
1: Um, I made a boyfriend, actually, who I became very friendly with. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people did that in, in uh, resort town settings.
0: As you do. Sort
1: of put it this way, but you end up hooking up. Yeah. And so this young man was a, um, uh, was a cook. He was a breakfast cook and, uh, he was Quebecois and he spoke very little English. And I spoke very little French. So I don't know. I don't know if we were really good friends, but we were quite close yes lovely what was his name sylvan
0: sylvan all right okay well thanks for sharing that i appreciate it and thanks very much for coming in jojo i really appreciate it. i always enjoy talking to you and it's fun to get to do this with you because our conversations are always a uh, pretty rapid fire back and forth mm-hmm. and uh i like the way that you communicate and it's always fun talking to you so thank you chris you too right on yeah okay well there we, we don't, go
1: we don't have to do it anymore ever again now though we're done
0: no way we're not done we like <laughs> we might have to do more actually we'll talk more. Yeah. Later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <In Nigeria. laughs> all right well that was a pretty enjoyable interview and to honor that interview i decided i'd come to lively peak park now lively peak is located in the magic lake area and you can access it off of Ketch road but You can also now access it off of Scarf Road due to a new trail and an even newer emergency access road that was put in recently in case of emergency (laughs) (laughs) and people need to find a second way to get out of Magic Lake. Anyway, so I came up through that uh, new road, walked up, and then I walked up through the short trail to get to the top of the park. And at the very top, there's a comms tower, and there's a large cylinder-shaped building that I think holds water? Not too sure, but there's a ton of graffiti on it. And as I walked past those two structures, I made my way down a trail and off to a bench where I'm sitting right now on a super hot summer evening. And I'm just looking at the ocean through... A little bit of a blocked perspective, and there's so many interesting little spots in here where you can see in so many different directions, but through obscured views and unique angles. And for some reason, this park reminded me of Jojo. There's something, a little punk rock, about the graffiti and the industrialness of what you find unexpectedly at the top up here. Also, the uniqueness of all the little spots that you can sit down and enjoy the views. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I really appreciate that you listen to these interviews. It means a lot. Thank you. Until next time.